Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody. Thanks for spending your time with us. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for that amazing intro. He and his wife have provided magic for generations and will continue to do so. And if you haven't heard his CDs, I urge you to go look for them because they are phenomenal and magical at the same time. Really excited because I've got a good guest tonight and I'm really can't, chomping at the bits, so to speak. Jim Willis joins us tonight to share one of his books, The Quantum Akashic Field, A Guide to Out-of-Body Experiences for Astral Travelers with us. He's a first-hand ex- <clears throat> he is a first-hand explorer, explorer of how to consciously step out of your body and navigate the quantum Akashic field. He details a step-by-step process of engaging extrasensory out-of-body travel and examines the quantum landscape of the Akashic field, meetings with spirit guides and descriptions of -of out-of-body experiences from his personal journal and from world spiritual traditions, including the Bible and many other spiritual texts. He explores current theories about the science of consciousness and sensory perception, including discoveries from quantum physics and how these discoveries align with the traditional wisdom of shamans, dowsers, and mystics. He he details a step-by-step process centered on safe, simple, meditative techniques and shows how to bypass the filters of your five senses while still fully awake and aware and engage in extrasensory out-of-body travel, sharing his journey to connect with universal consciousness and navigate the quantum landscape of the Akashic field. He reveals how consciousness, how conscious. OBEs allow you to penetrate beyond normal waking perception into the realm of quantum perception. Jim is an author of 11 books on religion and spirituality in the 21st century, including Supernatural Gods, along with many magazine articles on topics ranging from earth energies to ancient civilizations. He's been an ordained minister for over 40 years while working part-time as a carpenter, musician, radio host, arts counselor, director, and adjunct college professor 
in the fields of world religions and instrumental music. And in his spare time, but, but wait, I don't think he has any, but we'll ask him. Welcome to the show, Jim. What do you do in your spare time? Thank, thank you, Barbara. <laughs> you, make, you make me sound so interesting. Thank you for that wonderful <laughs> introduction. Um, in my spare time, I, I just love to write. I love to read. I love to study. And um, but that's pretty much my life right now. Well, I think that you know you it, it's really it's interesting in in the journey that you have taken to get to this point in time and and I love talking to people who have been on that spiritual journey because everybody's different and everybody is striving to get to basically the same place in consciousness and it's it's phenomenal to see I think it's important for a lot of people to understand that uh, in order to get to that level of consciousness, you really have to have a balanced life, and, and yours is certainly balanced, maybe overbalanced. But uh, you know, you, you have to you have to continue to add material into what you're working with, so that your perception of reality is expanded. And you know, it it never it never stops either. Um, I'm I'm very fortunate in that at a time when most people are just kind of retired, and many people my age are oh playing golf and that kind of thing. I have so many interesting things to look forward to. Um, I I got a tell um, email from uh, Andrew Collins, another great British researcher and author, um, mm-hmm. a, a couple of months ago, who asked me to lead a uh, tour to ancient sites in uh, Turkey in September. And so now uh, at a time when it would just be very easy to sit home and, and, uh, and you know, watch TV and all that kind of thing, I'm having so much fun looking and, and uh, uh, looking forward to going to these places that I've been writing about, some of these ancient civilizations, uh, starting in Istanbul and Gobekli Tepe and, uh, and sharing with uh, folks who want to see these these uh, ancient sites that are so rich in spirituality. Um, And that kind of thing just keeps you going. Yeah, Andrew's been on the show. He's really, um, Uh he's a fascinating man. And are you going to be able to see Derenkunyu too, Derenkunyu? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're going to Derenkunyu, and we're we're going to uh, um, uh, ancient Anatolia and and, uh, Cappadocia. Uh, Andrew Andrew has a... Had a bit of a problem uh, in that uh, back in 19, I think it was 98, he wrote a book called From the Ashes of Angels, and he dedicated it to the Kurdish people. And with the uh, political situation the way it is over there, on his last trip over to Tur- over to Turkey, um, he found himself banned from the country. But he had I this know. tour planned in September. So he uh, he emailed me and asked if I might uh, stand in for him. So I'm really looking forward to it. As a matter of fact, if any of your uh, listeners are interested in in in, uh, in going or reading about it, um, if they can go to either my uh, Facebook page or they can go to Ancient Origins, who is sponsoring the tour, along with uh-huh. a group called Travel the Unknown. And uh, even with all of the political unrest and everything over there, uh, we've been assured that it's going to be perfectly safe, very well-appointed, um, uh, interesting group of people, and I'll have a chance to to talk uh, during the time as well. Uh, not only talking about the sites where we are, but uh, g- giving a presentation on 
oh, one on dowsing and one on world religions and uh, probably some out-of-body stuff, too, as well. So it, it's going to wow. be quite a trip. It's 12, 12 days in September. I'm looking forward well, to it. I, I really am. I know that uh, Gobekli Tepe is, has always been a fascination of mine, and I've recently done a couple of interviews on it. Yeah. And Darren Kuyu has also yeah. been um, another site that, that you know could house thousands and thousands of people, and it's it's just yeah. an amazing site. People should look it up. You know, Google it for any for you know for mm-hmm. want of something else to do, because it is. Uh, yeah. You take a look at it, and you think. You know, we keep thinking of ancient people as being primitive, and and they mm. weren't. You know, they were us with with no, less anything tech but. stuff. And and you know, I, yeah, I, I often have. I think have, it's meant. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was going to say, I think, as a matter of fact, in many ways, uh, they were way in front of us. They knew things that we have forgotten, and uh, they may not have had our physical technology. But uh, I think they had a technology, um, uh, a psychic, I call it a psychic toolkit that uh, we uh-huh. have simply forgotten. It's there and we can access it. It's available to us. But uh, oh, our yeah. culture has just taken us, taken us away. It's put, put, put us so far into our, into our left brains, you know, that um, we just have forgotten what, what they once took for granted. Well, I think we're, we're at the, the um, fringes of... Uh, I, I would call it a, a, a spiritual revolution because people yeah, are yeah. beginning to understand that while traditional religion is a wonderful foundation, it is, it is in my opinion, and I have, to pre- I, I have to preface this at the beginning of the show saying that, that when I give my opinion, it's just for me, and my opinion changes daily. So, you know, <laughs> I don't... I do not carve much in stone these days, but um, yeah. in, in, my, in my opinion, people are c- coming, falling away from traditional organized religion into a more spiritual, cosmic spirituality. And yes, I, I, all, I fully agree. And, and so, you know, it, it's sort of like we're coming to a time where we understand that that the religions of this world for this realm apply to the, the earth plane, but yeah. the spirit is 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 able to soar into other realms, into other dimensions, into other you know into other galaxies as far as that goes. And and what what is common knowledge here is you know just they don't even know what you're talking about in other places and other times. So. So it's it's uh, a, a long time ago. Um, the, the reason I did my website was because my philosophies. You can see in in my website how I change my opinion all over the place. But I once said somebody somebody said I should be doing this full time, and I said, well, when I arrive where I'm going, I'll turn around. If there's anybody there, I'll talk to him. And and he jumped on me and said, you don't understand. It's not arriving that anybody cares about. It's the journey, and that's your teaching tool. Yeah. So that's why the yeah. website is where it is. Yeah, absolutely. We can talk about uh, uh, changing our opinions, but I just prefer to call it growth. Um, <laughs> we, we grow, and we understand more. And so, of course, our ideas are going to, to grow along with us. I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing, and... Uh, if you know, for having had uh, taught um, world religions 
in the uh, the college uh, college age and uh, in in the university. I'm I, I'm struck over and over again how at the very beginning of so many of the religions that we under we understand in the world today, uh, Judaism, Christianity, uh, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, we we talk about these. We go back to the beginning, and we find an uh, essential shamanic experience that was uh, practiced by the founders. Uh, it was an experience that uh, any ancient shaman for thousands and thousands of years would be able to understand. It usually involved an out-of-body experience or meeting uh, entities from another dimension. Uh, Moses went up on the mountaintop and talked to God, uh, it, the Bible says, face-to-face. Jesus went out into the desert and had a, an emotional experience out there with an entity from another dimension. And later on, he would take... Peter and James and John, three of his disciples, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, right out of the ether stepped Moses and Elijah to talk to him about what was coming. Muhammad talked about his famous night journey uh, when he went to the seven stages of of heaven. And we can find the same thing. Uh, Buddha, before he could give the great Deer Park Discourse that began his ministry, um, had to have his own battle with uh, the devil figure of Buddhism, Amara, and we find it in Hinduism all the time. I think the problem is that after these essential uh, shamanic experiences that so moved these these uh, these people that they began a whole new way of understanding life, after that initial experience, along came the followers and then the followers of the followers, and pretty okay. soon we were building rules and doctrines and dogmas that just crusted over the initial shamanic experience. And I sometimes wonder if the if the founders were to come back today, whether they would even recognize um, the oh. religions that we have built uh, in in their name. Well, probably not. I mean, the, the very very earliest um, uh, cosmology was um, yeah. Almost a cosmic one. I mean, they didn't have a religion. Yes. They didn't worship anybody, but but the spirit of of nature and and the the stars. I mean, it was amazing. And I think, yeah. in in my mind, to my mind, we are coming back probably to something very similar to that, because people are beginning to so. understand yeah. that. Me too. Me too. It's just you yeah. know you yeah. you get to the point where. You set a goal, and and I, I I have stopped setting goals, but I used to set a goal, and you know when I have arrived when I arrived in, at the conclusion of a goal, I would you know sit back and say now I've learned it all, and only to find that when you finish a goal, when you when you finish a journey, it just means you turn around and start another one. So the trick yeah, is to yeah. not not really get there because once you actually get there, you have to start over over from square one. So you know, as you yeah, as you get yeah. to arriving a, at where a, you're a, going. Yeah. Go ahead. There's a there's a you wonderful know. song that Mark Lowry uh, wrote and and sings. He was a member of the uh, the the Bill Gaither vocal band, which is a uh, 
a, a Christian, you know, evangelical gospel group. But uh, even still, it was so nice to see Mark Lowry up on stage, and he was singing this wonderful song. He said, uh, I've seen a lot of crazy things done in your name. I've seen the tricks behind the magic show. And it just mm-hmm. really uh, reveals what religion can be so much today, especially when you go into some of these great big huge churches and see all of the technology that's there. And it's, it's really quite a show. It can be very emotional. But that spiritual journey that, uh, that was so prevalent in our ancestors uh, somehow is just replaced with a kind of a, a technological magic show nowadays. And I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm really hoping that we are getting back to something that's real and something that, um, that is more cosmically connected because that's where the essential reality is, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And, and I do believe we are. I know um, I, now I've been in the field for pro- I think we're probably about the same age. Um, I, I'm 75. So, uh, I'm, you 70, know, I'm in, 74. So. <laughs> okay. So, yes, I, I thought so. Um, so. So it's kind of like in, in, in my journey, uh, this spiritual journey, it started out very simple. And then the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know anything. And so now, especially yeah. with the radio show, I'm able to go into all sorts of different areas and, and of course, read the books that people have written in order to be able to talk intelligently with them. And, and I'm beginning to, to see that, that, I mean, there are some areas that, that I really need to delve into because they're calling to me. And I think anybody who's on this kind of a journey, the, more, the further you get into it, the more you are attuned to and feel when something calls to you, you, you just have to go and, and learn more about it. So that it's it's yeah. a I, it's a higher you know education of in many different ways. Yeah, and I I, I found um, too that there's something else interesting going on nowadays because way back in the time of uh, of Galileo, um, the uh, the church and science split, um, and over the years they developed a kind of a. Um, a treaty between the two, and they said that science is going to be concerned with uh, with reality and what's going on in the world, and religion is supposed to be concerned with uh, morality and ethics and that kind of thing. And so the two have been going down a, a, a parallel road, but it's I find it very strange, especially when we start seeing quantum reality now and uh, understanding a little more about the quantum world, <laughs> even though. Uh-huh. It's so counterintuitive. I use the word understanding, uh, understanding quantum physics with a great with a grain of salt. But even so, I think science is now beginning to under, beginning to explore uh, the material realities of what the mystics and the dowsers and the gurus have been and shamans have been studying for thousands and thousands of years. So in a, in effect especially in the last hundred years with, with, with uh, the quantum reality coming to the fore, I think what we're finding is the two roads, science and religion, are now beginning to merge in our generation, in our time. And uh, scientists are beginning to describe things that the ancient Hindu rishis, for instance, were talking about 6,000 years ago. Uh, the Zen Buddhist has been saying for, for centuries and centuries, all are, is, is, is one, everything is connected. And now with the uh-huh. whole quantum idea of entanglement, 
uh, we're discovering that that's true in a physical sense as well as a spiritual sense. So I think what well, we're beginning to understand yeah. right now is the science of spirituality. Well, I mean, they they can't really ignore it when you have doctors and, and scientists no. having these out-of-body experiences and, and near-death experiences. Yes. And and you know being dead and then and then coming back. So, it is mm-hmm. they have to acknowledge the fact that there there is there is another reality beyond. Of course, they don't want to be absolute because that would you know they have to publish or perish and yeah. they have to stay you know right right along the line there. But it, it, people yeah. are getting more and more accepting of it, and and you see it even in in the movies that are out there because. I, I have all, yes. often believed that the you know television and radio and and the movies have have been a way to prepare the public for the new directions that the consciousness is going, and um, yeah. so yeah. when you yeah. see a lot of this stuff going on in, in the in the movies, you know you step back and say, well, it's about time. We'll accept it as entertainment, and then when it becomes reality, it's not such a shock to our body. But but I believe that yeah. most people. I mean, our our DNA holds memories of of lifetimes past. Our spirit is aware yeah. of everything that we've been through and done. So, it you know, I, I I sometimes visualize the spirit sitting back in a lazy boy and putting its feet up and saying, you know, wake me when you get to you know understanding I'm real. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah. fascinating when you talk about our our DNA carrying these things. When uh, when my wife Barbara and I came to the woods here, um, we we left ministry ten years ago. I retired, and when we came out here, we we came with an agenda. Uh, we decided that we wanted to really explore and with spirituality, and we wanted to get away from all the noise and all the confusion. Um, Socrates once said, "Beware the barrenness of a busy life." And uh, uh-huh. our life was so busy, and we when we came out here, we deliberately wanted to slow down. And uh, when you said DNA, it just couldn't help remind me of a story. Uh, I came out here with a, a Bible verse in mind, and the Bible verse was from the book of Genesis, believe it or not. Uh, Jacob and Esau, the story goes, had been separated after their estrangement, and uh, Jacob had gone off and married the women who were going to become the mothers of the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. He was coming back to be reconciled with his brother Esau, and on the night before their fateful meeting, he was, of course, nervous and worried, and he was pacing up and down, and uh, the Bible says all of a sudden he met a man by the river, and he wrestled with him, and it turned out to be God, a, a, a theophany of, of God. And so the story says that Jacob wrestled with God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And as he wrestled all night, uh, he was. And that was the, the metaphor that I was taking when I came back here to the woods. I said, just like Jacob of old, God, it's you and me, no holds barred, no religion, <laughs> no doctrine, no dogma. I want to experience. I want to wrestle with God. And so I, I came out here with the, the words on my mouth, I will not let you go until you bless me. Well, about uh, three years ago, I think it was, maybe four, uh, I was asked to go to Cornwall over in the U.K. and give a speech to a, uh, a group there called the Parallel Community, wonderful group of people, and they invited me to come over and talk about world religions. And so I 
I flew to the UK and uh, spent some time uh, dowsing among the old, uh, the ancient sites of southern England and I just, on Cornwall, and I just loved it. Had a great time with the people. But I couldn't come out of England until I made a pilgrimage of my own. And my last stop was to rent a car, learn how to drive on the wrong side of the road, and oh drive up to this little town called this little town called Fenny Compton, which is up northwest of London. And the reason I wanted to go up there was because that's where my ancestors came from, and they were uh, clergy in the uh, Church of England, and the little church where they used to preach. My great 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 grandfather, I don't know how back how far it goes used to stand up on the pulpit of this little church in Fenny Compton and preach. So I contacted a local historian and uh, had a chance to go up there, and she let me into the church, and we talked. And she showed me the plaque on the wall where it said Willis, my the, the name of my ancestor. And I stood up in the pulpit, and when I was in that pulpit, I was looking at the stained glass windows in the church, which were the same ones that were there when he was there. And I, lo and behold... The stained glass window that he looked at every single morning when he preached there was a uh, showed Jacob wrestling with God, saying, "I will not let you go until you bless me." <laughs> and somehow, the DNA of my spiritual ancestor—how many generations ago I don't even know—was somehow passed down to the point where I had to go on my own spiritual journey here. And that stained glass window that he looked at every Sunday morning pictured the very same verse that was on my mind when I came out here to the woods. I will not let you go until you bless me. Uh, I think it's passed down, that spiritual DNA that you were talking about. It's, oh, it's so real and it. so vivid. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's really, it, it's sort of when it wakes up in you, it and it's, different for everybody I, I want to keep emphasizing that as we go further and further into tonight because mm-hmm. it's everybody is very unique the way they perceive life yeah. the way they perceive their spiritual journey it's it's all unique so that you know while we may share what what we experienced that that isn't the the you know that isn't the cut and dried way to do anything it's it's how we did it mm-hmm. And and it's sort of like um, it, it's. I keep talking to people and telling them they have to go within. They have to find their own roadmap. They have to understand the connection with the spirit that that is riding in this physical body that we're walking around in in this lifetime. And and yeah. you know it it will be different for everyone. Often I have told people um, you create by your reality by your perception of it, and and that's that's also true. It's sort of you know, we need to understand that we are in control. And, mm-hmm. and you know, while there is a creator that, you know, certainly gave us the spark of life, he also gave us free will. So so it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like you've got eternity here. So, you know, if you want to sit back, yeah. take, a, take a lifetime off and not do anything, that's okay. The lessons await. But it's, it's more fun to, yeah. you know, yeah. play with the lessons. Um, one of one of yeah. the things yeah. that that when when you know reading your book, which I thoroughly enjoyed, the book is really it's it's an easy read, and um, it everybody is going to you know say oh I, I I remember hearing that or I remember seeing that or it's 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 a reminder 
um, you, you take it down really to the bare bones, which is a great thing to do for everybody. Um, but the one thing that, that um, I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be curious about, you, you talk about the quantum Akashic field, a guide to out-of-body mm-hmm. experiences for the astral travel traveler. Um, now, mm-hmm. a lot of people that, that you know have listened to the show and everything, they're, they're familiar with the Akashic Records and the Hall of the Akashic mm-hmm. Records. And the Akashic field is different, mm-hmm. or is it? Um, I think in, in some ways, uh, in some ways different, in many ways the exact same thing. Uh, the word Akasha is, is an ancient Sanskrit word, and uh, it's been brought back into use through uh, Irvin Laszlo. It's been made popular especially who was talking about a field, a uh, quantum reality field that he calls uh, Akasha. Um, and it's that field of, well, uh, a field of potential. Laszlo says it's, uh, he calls it information in the sense that it is being informed and molded. It is the field out of which everything, uh, every potential, every possibility arises and that possibility, um, which is in, in, in total energetic form, that possibility comes out of the field of Akasha, uh, eventually through the newly discovered Higgs field where energy takes on mass and begins to manifest itself here in, in, in this particular realm, this particular perception realm that we live in. And then everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we experience is recorded forever. I mean, that's the purpose of our life. This is a big school for us. At least that's how I like to think of it. And we are here to experience um, reality in all of its form. And so everything we do and say and even think returns back to that Akashic field and becomes a part of the Akashic record. So I would, I would like to think of it at least as we come from Akasha, and the experience that we have is recorded forever in the Akashic record. Uh, the Bible talks about it in a different terminology. It used the word the book uh-huh. of life. Everything we do is recorded yeah. in the book of life. I think they were talking about the same thing. Um, it's recorded in the sense that the whole purpose of this existence is to go through what we're going through, to experience what we're experiencing, so that we can understand the concept of individuality. When you stop to think about it in the source, uh, there is no individuality. How can there be? Uh Everything is one, essentially one. And yet, if we are not individuals, we cannot have the different kinds of experiences we need. So I think at some point, uh, we make a very courageous decision. I think everybody who's ever born is here because we have made a courageous decision to leave the comfort and the security of the one in the source and take on individuality, take on these experiences, both the good and the bad, the positive and the negative, so that these experiences may be recorded forever. And uh, everything that we do, so we're on a we're on a great um, missionary journey. We're on a great exploratory uh, journey. I think it takes a tremendous amount of courage for us to do what we do, and in a way. I get um, sometimes terribly discouraged, and I find myself saying, as a race, what are we doing to each other, and how are we acting? 
And yet, on the other hand, I'm so proud of us because we've had the courage to take on individuality uh, and and to even give up mostly the memory of it. And it does make it a little bit difficult when we're here, especially when we get on an age, because I think all of us start after a while to get homesick for the cor- for the for the source. We want to go home, we want, but we want to stay. I think of the words of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He said, I want to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But for your sakes, he said, I stay. And uh, I think that's what we're all doing. We kind of have that yearning for the source, which we have forgotten, but is still a part of our vestigial um, identity, who we are. Does that make any sense, <laughs> putting it that way? Yeah, no, it it does. I think that... that um one of the things that that I wrestle with constantly is the fact that, okay, I'm here for the spirit that's within me to learn, to grow, to expand, to express. Um, I'm not here. I'm not here for others. I'm here for the spirit that's within me. Yet if my journey helps and teaches other people, that's just great. But um, I mean, I, they used to love to have me, speak at church because, you know, I often said, you know, okay, I am ordained, but I don't feel qualified to preach to you, but I can share with you some of my mistakes, so you'll have to, you know, so don't repeat mine, you find some of your own, and usually I had egg on my face by the time I was done, but um, (laughs) somebody said, are you ever going to run out of lessons, and I said, no, no, I've, I've got plenty, I can keep going for generations here, but, you know. But I didn't. But 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 the thing is, you know, it's it's sort of I, I I run across people who say they are on a spiritual journey and they're here to heal and they're here to teach and they're here to do this and and you know I often if I get a chance I'll say but what are you doing for you? Oh no, I'm here to do this. I'm yeah. here to serve. And but you're here to serve what's inside of you. And and yeah. then I think, okay, so that's what they think their journey is, and who am I to tell them? Yeah. But you know, <laughs> but you know, I love I love the way them. you put it. Um, I love the way you put it. You often have egg on your face. When I was um, just starting out in carpentry, and I was very young, and I went on my first uh, job with a bunch of experienced carpenters, and I was nervous because I was afraid I was going to make a mistake and. Um, you know, mess up the whole thing. And I had an old timer take me aside and give me a lesson that I'll never forget. He says, I know you're nervous. He said, but look at those guys out there working on that house. He said, do you know um, who the, the the best carpenters are? And I said, who? who? And he said, they're the ones that have made the most mistakes and learned from them. Oh. And uh, that's, I, I've used that all the way through my life. You know, we do the we do the best we can, and sure, we're going to fall down and make mistakes. But if life is growth, and if life is spiritual growth as well as material growth, of course we're going to make mistakes. But the the beauty of it is to be able to share those mistakes, so maybe other people can be um, uh, you know spared from them. Well, yeah, I, I'm not so sure I spared anybody from anything, but but I will admit too that <laughs> you know it. My mistakes, I'd laugh at because, you know, it was like I was so pig-headed, I made the mistake so gargantuan that, you know, it, it would take an idiot to miss it. 
and you know there were little little <laughs> mis- and and I keep telling people you know if you take if you if you spy if you spy these before they get to be big and take care of them and learn from them then then you then you've got something going on in your life unfortunately um I seem to like to make examples of myself, so I, I usually wait till I'm hip deep in a problem before I admit, well, this didn't work. Um, <laughs> how do I get out of this well, one? <laughs> it, it certainly is easy to do. That's for sure. That's for oh sure. But on the other hand, you know, when we when we are able to laugh at ourselves and be honest with ourselves, I I think it's it just goes. Uh, farther to push that essential I, that it's 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 the the the, the um, which is the essential part of all of our being. Um, mm-hmm. You know what is that I? We say I have a, a a body, I have a heart, I have a, a brain, I have, and we ask ourselves who is the I that has all those things? We used to say the I was located in the heart, and when the heart stopped, the I stopped to be. But we, then we learned how to keep people alive with artificial hearts. And for a while we were saying the eye is located in our brain. A lot of neuroscientists even say that today, um, that essentially that eye is located in our brain and it's translated through uh, chemicals and electricity and, and pulses and all that kind of thing. But then we have people who what we are called brain dead, but we can still keep them alive for a long time. And I think that essential I, it just refuses definition. And that's why I'm convinced that uh, we're, we are spiritual beings, because when we begin to take away everything that the I has, including I have the cells of my body, we can even take those away. and We begin to peel away the layers of that onion, and eventually we're left with something that looks like uh, pixels, basically. Uh-huh. And then eventually those even disappear. So the essential I that is here is is really a spiritual entity our essential identity is simply housed in this material body um i like to look at it this way i like to talk about our material body uh that houses this i as a a, a body that's encased in a fence really that's a, a it it's a five-sided fence kind of like a pentagon and that the five sides of that fence our five senses, touch and taste and hearing and smell and sight. And those senses have evolved to protect us in some ways because otherwise, boy, the information coming to us would just be so great, it would overwhelm us. So it has to filter out some of these. As a result, instead of seeing the entire spectrum of, the, of color, for instance, we see red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. We know that colors exist above that that we can't see, and below it that we can't see. So in that sense, the the uh, the fence that the, the the part of the fence that is sight is protecting us from this overwhelming information that'll be coming to us. But in another sense, over the top of this fence is a, a a roof that I like to call the intellect, and that's what explains to us what comes through the fences. And so uh, what we have here is this this fence and, and, and with, with the intellect over it, and everything in the fence is what we call reality, <laughs> when, in, when the truth is reality is really what is outside the fence. Uh, classical physics exists here inside the fence, 
uh, things that we can explain in that way that has rules and laws and all. But outside defense is this wonderful quantum Akashic field that doesn't react to classical physics. And that's the real reality. And I think that's the essence of out-of-body experience is really learning how to get outside the fence and to, to experience reality as it is. Well, now, you, um, well, well, before we get even there, what is the difference between an out-of-body experience and astral traveling? Well, I, I think probably a lot of it is is, um, is semantics. It depends on definitions. I guess it, generally the people who teach these things talk about two different ways of out-of-body, two different kinds of out-of-body experience. Uh, one is called uh, etheric travel, and that's mm-hmm. what I like to call local traffic. In other words, uh, when we're talking about being able to um, to to see um, aspects of this reality, remote viewing, for instance. The military worked around this for a long time, and they even sent yeah. many representatives to the Monroe Institute up in Virginia to, uh, mm-hmm. to learn how to go remote viewing and actually see other places on the planet. What they were actually doing was trying to um, uh, create a, a way to, to spy on uh, on our enemies without ever going out of the country, uh, leaving your leaving your living room. And uh, where are the uh, enemy submarines, or where are his bases, and uh, all this kind of thing? So remote viewing is actually seeing uh, something that's going on within this reality, and that's called etheric travel. Uh, astral travel is usually the word that they use when they start talking about going to other dimensions and seeing other realities, perhaps other universes um, in the multiverse. Uh, uh, and that's what it, where it gets very difficult. Astral travel gets very difficult not in doing it. That's one thing. Coming back and trying to explain it, that's the hard part because we are seeing things and experiencing things that we try to describe with language that was invented only to describe things here in this material world. And so when we go and we see um, a, a, a totally different kind of entity that may exist in a totally different kind of dimension, and then we try to explain it with language uh, that was made to be used on this side of the fence, it becomes very difficult. Um, my wife and I lived for a long time out in the Southwest, and we saw a lot of rock art out there. And now they're even discovering more rock art here in the Southeast as well. But we see some pretty fantastic uh, figures uh, uh, that look human but not quite human, or they may be part human and, and part animal. And I think what we're seeing there is an attempt to explain something that the shaman saw when they practiced astral travel and then they came back and tried to show other people what it was that they saw and so they drew these pretty fantastic pictures i think we see this same thing in the great uh, cave paintings in uh, western europe uh, lescaux and all of the rest of them um I, I i i think we make a mistake when we try to say well what were they trying to picture uh, maybe they just didn't do it very well that they were trying to show an animal, or they didn't do it very well that they were trying to show a human. And I think maybe we're not giving these artists enough credit. I think they were trying to show exactly what it was they saw, but what they saw doesn't translate very well to to those of us <laughs> who live here. 
Yeah, frame of reference is really important. Um, yeah. But yeah. If, if you go way, 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 way back, there they used to have a a tribe memory or, a, you know, everyone that was in the, the group that was living in a particular place um, were able to share yeah. memories, that there was that, that, that telepathy or that memory Mm-hmm. Uh, that they called it memory, yeah. but yeah. it it was it really yeah. had to do with with um, as a group, and 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 I think it's the group energy that helped them to get there. To be honest with you, too, but that they yes. would they would I share the memories really well. of 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 the gatherings. Now, we could do that today if we didn't have so much tech stuff all over the place. I think we've dumbed ourselves yeah. down yeah. tremendously because of the the. Yeah. Tech, the technical stuff that we've got now it was it it's your book was fascinating in that you you experienced your first out of body experience without actually planning on doing it and then you started to seek it and and had trouble getting back to where you started yes <laughs> you know that it goes on today just as much it's it's it it is kind of maddening in a way because um when you know we came out here deliberately to get away from all of the uh, the high tech stuff that was just filling our lives, and so what's the first thing we did? Well, we drilled a well and we built a septic system, but then we had to bring back power. We had to bring back uh, fiber optic cables and everything else. So we're bringing it with us, and uh, you know we can turn it off, and and we do sometimes. And then uh, I have uh, that's probably when I feel closest to spirit closest to source and when I have the best and most successful time without a body experiences. So then I have a group of these experiences and I finally decide I want to write a book about them. And so <laughs> I write a book and of course the book takes me right back into the world where I'm talking to people about it and, and, um, and, and writing about it and then getting involved with the technology. Um, I mean, here you're in Connecticut and I'm in South in, in in South Carolina, and we have a go-between somewhere who's in West Virginia. Um, without yep. technology, we couldn't do this, and yet it becomes it very difficult when I uh, do uh, two or three long-distance conversations like this using technology. It becomes very difficult, and I have to spend sometimes days and sometimes weeks shutting everything off again just to get back to what I had when I started. So it is it is frustrating. Well, I know that, you know, out-of-body experience, I mean, your book is phenomenal. And, and basically, you do Thank give step-by-step-by-step. By step by step. And, and, but it's, it's a journey that isn't done for fun and games. Because, mm-hmm. um, and, and I do believe that your intent when you go into something like this, if it isn't genuine, you don't go there. Absolutely. I mean, if you're looking, Absolutely. if you're looking for, if you're looking for information about yourself, if you're looking for information about your journey, if you're looking to understand um, any of this wonderful spiritual mysteries that are out there, um, that's a good reason to do it. But if you just want to see if you can peek in on your neighbor or see what your ex-boyfriend is doing, forget it. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've had people talk to me. And they say, "Well, listen, if you can if you can see all these things, why don't you just uh, peek ahead and tell me what the stock market's going to be doing and make a lot of money or something?" It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> that no, that whole doesn't. ego thing is is 
that whole ego thing really gets in our way. We have to sidestep ego. But when we do sidestep ego and have a successful out-of-body experience, then uh, all of a sudden the desire to do all of these, uh, I call them worldly things or earthly things that are for uh, for the wrong reasons with the wrong intentions, um, it just falls apart. I, I, I think mm-hmm. motivation is everything. And as you say, I think your intentions have to be pure. And, you know, they can be a little unpure, but, I mean, it, it just, you have to have the <laughs> sincerity of the, oh, come on, we're human. Um, you know, yeah. if, if we <laughs> were, I mean, I will, I will admit I can walk on water, but it needs to be frozen. And I can levitate <laughs> if you scare me enough and I leave the ground. But, you know, to do that, you know, um, on, on call, when I don't have the right circumstances, no, no, that's going to happen. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I think... Um, I, Dean, Dean Radin, yeah, uh, Dean, Dean Radin talks about this on his book, Real Magic, and in his work out at the Noetic Institute. Uh, he says, you know, the difficulty is what, what they're trying to do out there is understand the science behind all of these things, the science behind psychokinesis or levitation or walking on water. And so as a result, they want to do the science panel. So they have to get people to come into the laboratory and test these things under scientific conditions, except that the people who are really good at it and who can really do it um, absolutely refuse to go into laboratories and everything else because it totally goes against everything to, that they um, that they believe in to try to use their talents and, and show off, saying, look what I can do. Uh, and exactly. it, it is it is tough. It really is tough. Well, you know, it's you know, for a long time I did I did readings, and people would often come up to me and say, "Prove it." And you know, it's, yeah. I, I finally got to the point where I was comfortable enough to say, "You know, I don't do tests. I just don't." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it 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 becomes it it becomes ego gratification, and that's uh, that's just wrong. It just doesn't work. It, it is. I mean, there there have been a number of times that I have risen to the occasion, and I, as I walk away, say to myself, "Well, I'll pay an extra lifetime for that one." But um, <laughs> sometimes it sometimes it feels just so good; it's it's probably worth another lifetime. Um, there there are um, where was I going to go with this? There, there there were a number of things with when when you when you started to build your cabin and stuff that fascinated me because. My my late husband and I did a whole documentary on uh, the secrets of the stones and the standing stones and the stone mm-hmm. chambers here in the Northeast. And you had a boulder that you felt you had to dig to find its its. Um, it became a standing stone, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I had built a, um, a cabin back in the woods up in Massachusetts. And uh, I, I, the purpose of the cabin was for a place for me to go uh, for a retreat. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to sometimes get away. There was no electricity back there, and I would go back there. And uh, I had a month's vacation every year, and I would go back there and stay there for a month. And um, one time, I, there was a time in my life when this, oh, my, my theology, my Christian theology began to kind of fall apart, and I began to see all kinds of, of difficult things with it. 
And I just didn't know where I was or where I was going. I needed to be grounded. And so uh, I I went back to the cabin for, for four afternoons, and I just sat on the front deck of the cabin, and I meditated. And uh, um, about the fourth, the third or fourth day, I began to be conscious of these sounds that I was hearing. And I thought that it was the sound of the highway, which is about a mile, mile, two away. And then I realized by the fourth day that it wasn't uh, a highway at all. What I was hearing was drums. And um, when I, as soon as I realized that, I opened my eyes and I looked, and here was this stone that I had been looking at. It was about three, four feet tall, and it was laying on its side. And I had always noticed on the front of this stone that the, the top of it seemed to be smoothed off. It almost looked like a face. Um, the best, best way I can describe it is the old, uh, well, you and I will remember because we're old enough to remember weebles wobble, but they don't fall down, you know. That's yep. what it kind of looked like. And uh, as, I, as I looked at that stone, somehow I just knew that that stone was supposed to be standing upright. So I immediately got excited. I don't know what hit me. I, I, uh, it was totally foreign to my experience. But I ran in, I got my shovel, and I got uh, uh, oh, some picks, and I got a, um, some, some rope and a, even a hydraulic jack. And, and I began to excavate around the stone. And around the base of this stone, it was built up on bedrock, on a kind of a natural pedestal. And uh, at the base of this stone, I, I began to discover, I knew exactly what I was going to find before I got there. There were three stones placed right on the bedrock, only about a foot, foot and a half down that exactly uh, matched the bottom of this stone, that this, this rock that was supposed to, and I knew that it, it was supposed to be standing upright. So it was too heavy for me to move uh, by, just by hand, but I managed to swing some ropes around over trees and with an hydraulic jack and stand it up. And as soon as I stood it up uh, on its side, it swung around a little bit to that place that looked like the face that had been smoothed out to face exactly where the sun came up on the day of the solstice. And uh, in front of that rock, on the east side of the rock, there were seven hammer stones that had been laid out in fan shape. And um, I, I was just so excited, and I knew what had happened. I, I, I knew everybody who had owned this particular piece of property since King Philip's War um, back in the late 1600s because it was all recorded in the town. And back in those days, as I did more and more research, the, uh, the Native American people who lived in New England would watch uh, the pilgrims, and the Puritans rather, uh, bury their dead. And they would bury their dead in cemeteries with like four-foot stones. And I, I just knew what had happened. The, uh, the, the Indians were thinking, well, we must worship the same God because we do the same thing with our dead. The Indians would put up this stone, and the person would would be uh, would would lie there, and the Indians would do their their dance around the sacred spiral to to dance him, uh, you know, up to the heavens. And uh, the of course the Westerners, the the, the uh, you know people, the, the white people who lived in New England, said, "No, uh, your your stones are pagan. Ours are gravestones. Ours are legal. <laughs> Yours are pagan." So whenever they came to one, they would knock it down. 
And I knew as soon as I put this stone up there that what I had discovered was a place where the Indians used to worship. But when the first white people came and were awarded this land for their service of soldiering in in, um, uh, King Philip's War, what they would do would be to to knock these things down and, and say, there, I got rid of a pagan idol. So they would knock it down to the glory of God. Well, I came along 300 years later, and I put it back up again to, to the glory of uh-huh. God. And I, you know, I I didn't think that much that much of it really until um, all the snows came in New England. Those, you know, well, you, you're up in Connecticut. You know what those snows are like up in New England. And so the yes, snows came, and by March, we had a uh, um, kind of a warm time, a, a nice warm spring day in March. And so I decided to go out to the cabin. And I walked out, and the snow had melted around the base of this particular standing stone. And there, right on the base of the stone, was uh, the feathers, not the carcass, just the feathers of a rough grouse. And I was so excited. I, I, I thought, well, part of my, my intellectual side was saying, well, a hawk killed a, a grouse on this particular spot of ground. But uh-huh. uh, there was a part of me that just said, well, why here and why on this particular stone of all the rest of the places where it could have happened? And where's the body? Why just the feathers? So I, I called up my daughter. She's a, a, a kind of an expert on all things Indian. And I said, what happens if you have the, a, a grouse given, given to you as a totem animal? And she called me back about 10, days later, or 10 minutes later, and she said, Dad, uh, you won't believe this. Uh, a grouse as a totem animal means you are to attune your life to the dance of life. Well, I've been a musician all my life. I played in dance bands all my life, and I could never make myself get out on a dance floor. Even though I used to love to play dance music and watch other people dance, I couldn't do it myself. Something held me back. It was some kind of a psychological problem. And sure enough, um, Manitou sent me this, this grouse that said, get in tune with the dance of life. And I thought this was a unique experience. I thought I was the first person that ever had this happen to them. And about a year later, uh, I was at a, uh, a, a meeting with a kind of a mentor of mine who was an Ojibwe teaching elder who used to come out to New England. And he had been given permission to share with some of us a portion of the uh, of his tribe's creation myth. And after the whole day of listening to the creation myth and listening to him, I told him this story. And he looked bored, <laughs> and, and I said, um, Black Wolf, how could, you, how could you be bored with this? And he said, okay, I'm sorry, it's been a long day. Okay, you found the, the, um, the, the grouse feathers, and they were on the west side of the rock. What next? And I said, wait a minute. I didn't tell you they were on the west side of the rock. How would you know that's where they were? And he said, well, that's where I'd expect them to be. And I said, you mean this happens? And he says, why, why are you Christian ministers? Why Christians? He says, why are you always so amazed when your God answers prayer, but when our God answers prayer, you don't believe it? And I said, you mean I've been looking for an experience with God all my life, and I now discover that he's an Indian? And Black Wolf said, no, she's an Indian. Ooh. <laughs> it, was a, it, was, it was probably my first time. Uh, when uh, I had a what I later would now recognize as, shim- as shamanic experience, where uh, spirit, source, Manitou, God, actually reached across and hit me right up alongside of the head and said, "You've got a lot to learn. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's that's exciting because, you know, when it when is. you get a message like that, it's like, okay, so I've got the time to learn it then. That's very exciting. And and it, yeah. it's yeah. sort of like you, you kind of – you, you roll your sleeves up, and, and, I, and I truly believe for those who are seriously on a spiritual journey, um, it keeps them vital, it keeps them alive, it keeps them, their, their yeah. intellect yeah. absolutely so, you know, um, ready for, for the messages that come in, in the most unique of yeah. ways. Yeah. And, and I have found, I have come to believe that, that when we get messages that are, "Quote unquote coincidences," which I don't believe in, um, that logic and reason doesn't apply. The message is what's important, and if you pay attention to the message, yeah. you're getting, you're getting, you're communicating with your higher consciousness, the spirit that you carry within, which yeah. is yeah. just so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, I, you know, I, sometimes I think that's absolutely true. Uh, absolutely true. And uh, the the story even has a sequel to to prove your point. I think of how practical these things can be and the reason for it. Um, years went by after I had had this experience, and uh, about oh I don't know I think back in two, 2012 maybe six years ago seven years ago no I guess that's eight years ago now isn't it? Um, we we lose track of time here in the woods sometimes. <laughs> back in 2012. Um, uh, my wife and I now were living here in South Carolina, and we had built a, a medicine wheel down below our gazebo. And while I was there in the medicine wheel, I had this um, very, very powerful out-of-body experience where I saw um, a young woman in out-of-body dancing at, around our medicine wheel or down at our medicine wheel. And I went down and and you know, this is uh, through an out-of-body experience, of course, I actually went down and, and danced with her there at the medicine wheel. And little did I know that this was kind of the sequel to this whole story because I've never, like I say, been able to dance. Uh-huh. I've never been able to get in tune with the dance of life. And now at the medicine wheel, I was dancing with the ancestor. Um, and it turns out afterwards that um, what I was basically doing was freeing the energy, the earth energy of this ancestor so that she could go on to the next plane. So it had a practical sense as well as just a mystical sense or a, uh, a metaphysical sense of, of being able to dance, getting your life in tune with the dance of life. I'm still working on it every day. <laughs> I think we all do. But uh, there are there are patterns, long patterns, that you can only describe as the, the the dance, the dance of life. Yeah, and if you're attuned to it and open to it, you know it spread it, it spread before you, and and in many yeah. cases, you know people dismiss it as oh that's my imagination, it couldn't possibly be. But mm-hmm. but if you if you yeah. can if you will, there there's a wonderful story about a a rock that was shaped like a hawk. That story. Oh, yes. Yes. Um it I'm I'm still um taken by that that whole story. Uh it turned out that this this young woman who I was dancing with uh it it turned out through a a, a vision that came to me at in a it was kind of like and I I want I don't want to call it a vision quest but that's kind of what it was. 
that uh-huh. this woman, this young woman, had uh, her totem animal had been hawk. Now, you remember when I first had this experience, my first thought was hawk killed a grouse on this particular spot of ground right. up in New England. And uh, this young woman, of course, grouse has to do with drumming. You hear the drumming of the grouse in the spring. Um, uh-huh. And uh, this, partic- this particular woman had had a, a totem animal, which was a hawk, and she had uh, carved out, or not carved out, but tapped out with, with a stone, a... Um, a stone icon in the shape of a hawk and she had hidden it there and uh, would come back every year when her tribe returned to this area to get the stone that they needed. We live on on an ancient stone quarry where they used to come back every year to get the stone that they needed to make their weapons for the year and she had actually hidden it and it was in seeking out that hawk that uh, she died here. It turned out that there was a great flood and she got too close to the edge and disappeared and her family couldn't find her and now thousands of years later uh, I helped dance her back to her family and I wouldn't have thought anything more about it I in matter of fact there was a part of me that just said well it's you're just making this up now Jim come on don't tell anybody about it this woo-woo stuff you know you're just making it up but yep. uh, when my wife was uh, looking for for stones to make a, 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 a fence she was walking along the old shoreline of what used to be a river around here and she reached down and she found one stone that seemed very warm to her touch and she picked it up and it was in the shape of a hawk. Um, it, that to me was just the absolute physical proof of a metaphysical experience. And I uh-huh. just have no doubt, even though everything, everything that I have been all my life and all of my training wants to rebel against it, I can't get over the fact that here is this hawk that I can hold in my hand that we found only after I had had this vision of this young woman who had carved this thousands of years ago. We still have it here in the house. We've tried to make arrangements before we die. We want to return it to to the woods again. Um, we found hundreds of artifacts around here, but we don't want to take them off and... and, and uh, and you know just scoop them up and make a big display yeah. about them so anything we do pick up like this hawk will be returned to the woods when we die so that uh it can it can carry on and fulfill its mission but uh well, it's, it's, I, I think it's an, I, I think it's such it's such confirmation and, yeah, and yes, yeah, people really can is. say, "Oh, it's, it's a coincidence," but there there are no coincidences. There, you know, they happen no, for a no. reason. And I and I tell people, sure. journal them down. You know, write them down in a journal because the more you write them down, the more frequently they occur. I don't know why that's important to do that, yeah. but it it works. Um, but I, I want totally to agree wanted, with you. That's that's yeah. I I I, I really believe. It, it is, and, and we, we forget. Uh, I, I go back and I read my journals now, and I'm reading stories that I have totally forgotten that would be lost if I hadn't written them, written them down at the time. I think it's extremely, extremely important. Oh, yeah. I, you know, my, my website is my journal, and mm-hmm. I found, I found um, an article that I and I, I have saved tons of stuff in my I have all of my late husband's research material too so I have a ton of stuff mm-hmm. in my computer and I came across an article yeah. and I read it and I thought 
I wonder if Patrick wrote it, and I, and then it was like, I wonder where I found this because it's so beautifully written. I just love it, and but but mm-hmm. not trusting my own whatever, I put it through the you know it has is this just something that someone else wrote that I just picked up and I you know I don't want to put it up if I'm plagiarizing, and I it, yeah. it said yeah. no it's it's not out there and and I sat with it for quite a while and and I realized you know I kept saying it to a friend of mine it's just so beautifully written I really want to put it on the website but I'm afraid that I'm plagiarizing somebody else's work and she said to me you wrote that 10 years ago I remember you reading it to me <laughs> <laughs> you know we had we had a similar experience and it's the reason we're we're here right now living where we are when I was down in Florida thinking about starting retirement, we were looking as to where we might want to go. And uh, I drew a, a circle on a map about a six-hour car ride because I knew if it was any farther than that, it would be difficult to uh, to find it. Mm-hmm. And um, we were intrigued by the fact that it went right through South Carolina and through Georgia because we were living down in Daytona Beach, Florida at the time. Well, uh, when we found uh, places that looked interesting, especially the area that we're in right now, I wrote a, a number of uh, letters to real estate people and all this kind of thing. And I only got one back, one real estate agent wrote. And he said, uh, yeah, come on up, I'll show you something. And I said, well, I don't know if I'm interested in that part of the country or not. Let's, you know, let's check it out. So I went online and I looked at some local newspapers. And uh, I found three different um, newspapers that were here in town, or not not in our town, but in surrounding towns, three different uh, daily newspapers, and they were carrying a religion column uh, called the ABCs of Religion, and it was a 26-day, 26-week thing where they would say A is for Aaron and B is for Baptist and C is for Catholic and, and uh, yeah. right through the alphabet. And the one that I particularly read was U is for Unitarian, and so I said, well, this is interesting. I'll, in a local town, I'll get a flavor for the culture. And so I read the article, and uh, I called Barb. And I said, Barb, I've got to read you this article. This is really kind of neat. This guy knows what he's talking about. And she started to laugh. And I, I said, what are you laughing at? She said, well, he ought to know what he's talking about. You wrote it. <laughs> and I looked down <laughs> at the bottom, and sure enough, the whole series was based on the religion book by Jim Willis which is an oh alphabetical <laughs> encyclopedia of religion. And uh, if it hadn't been for that, who knows if I would have come here. But I, I kind of took that as a sign. That's, wh- that's where yeah. I'm supposed to go. So I drove up, and sure enough, here we are. <laughs> well, I, I think that it's important. For, I, I, people often ask me, you know, how do you know what to do, when to do it? And I say, I always wait for a call. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. I do believe each of us has a calling. And sometimes it actually comes on the phone. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just know something and, and you know, mm-hmm. you, you follow through with it. But, but you have to understand yeah. that <clears throat> you don't broadcast it. <clears throat> By the way, somebody yeah. just texted me. The, the name of the um, article is um, Life is a Mosaic. It's on my website someplace. Um, oh, wonderful. But, it's um so so it's you know i i think that it's so important that everybody understand that 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 this journey is going to sometimes 
we are going to be open to and ready to, on a consciousness level, explore beyond the here and the now, and sometimes not. Sometimes a lifetime is meant to be, you know, a solid here and now. And, And you can't judge anybody because I always like to think that the pansy out in my yard is more evolved than I am. Because so many people, yeah. you know, it's it's what's their level of evolution? Where are they spiritually? It, everybody's where they belong, and and yeah. it's you and, know if you if and, you're and, really and what are they? What? Yeah, I was gonna say what what are they open to as well? I I, I look back um, over my life in the ministry. You know, ministers are often called to the bedsides of people who are dying. And I've literally held the hand of of many people who have died and then come back, near-death experiences. Uh And they come back and they tell me about uh, the tunnel. They tell me about seeing the presence. They tell me about the life review. They tell me about the light. And when I was doing this, I'm so ashamed of myself now how often I would hear that and I would say, oh, they must have just, you know, some kind of a chemical reaction or something. I didn't take it seriously. Yeah. And here are these people who were having profound experiences that I now recognize for what they were. And they were so much more open and evolved than I was in closed-minded ways. I was just shutting all this stuff out. Um, mm-hmm. And and here are these people who didn't maybe have my training or my uh, number of degrees or letters after their name or something like that and yet they were in it in touch with a reality that it took me uh, 65 years 62 years to really um, start to open up to it about about 10 years ago or so my husband and I did a series on near-death experiences and um, I just put the call out for people that had had near-death experiences, and you know we were over. And and I interviewed a lot of the people, and we played their interviews on the air. But the one that that you know just took my breath away was it was a girl who had tried to commit suicide a number of times, and she always came mm-hmm. back. And she said, "You don't understand. When you leave the body and you're flying." And and she said, it's not that you're supported by love or surrounded by love or led by love. She said, you are love. Ah, and that's beautiful. It oh, it just it, it it you know I I stopped dead in my tracks. And the yeah. the thing that that yeah. was especially with near death experiences, we found that. Not 100%, but, but close to 100%, 97, 98% of mm-hmm. the people who came back from a near-death experience had a different outlook and view of life. And they were really yeah. Yeah. more into uh, loving humanity, sharing with humanity, helping humanity, and serving humanity in, in one form or another. They, they didn't all you know, put a white robe on and go to the mountaintop and wait for the mothership, but but they did yeah, their lives yeah. changed and i yeah. think that that out of body experiences near death experiences are a profound experience in opening your heart and your spirit to the potential of what the universe has to share with us so yeah that's, that's beautiful that's that said yeah. um you do give a step by step um, of of how to experience 
um, an out-of-body well, experience? Well, I have to, I, yeah, I, I would probably have to amend that a little bit um, rather than how to do it. It's it's more like this is how I did it. <laughs> this worked for oh. me. I'm I'm oh, sure okay. that there's many other people who are going to have different different experiences. But um, with with me, when I began to seek out of body experiences for the first time after after having one really by accident, uh, okay. and I think probably that's a good thing to emphasize too right now. A lot of people say. Um, do you think everybody can learn to have an out-of-body experience? What I like to say is I think probably most everybody has already had out-of-body experiences. Yeah. Um, a lot of them in, in, in dreaming perhaps. Uh, sometimes they they will accidentally find that perfect balance of one-point meditation and uh, body awake, I mean body asleep but mind awake. And uh, mm-hmm. they may experience an out-of-body experience, but not recognize it for what it is. So I, th- I think it's certainly something that not only all of us can do. I think it's probably something that most of us have done. Um, and when I began, you know, I fell into my first out-of-body experience, like I say, pretty much by accident. And when I began to seek uh, out-of-body experiences, I was very fortunate in that I came across the work of uh, William Buhlman. Who um, uh-huh. Bill, I think, is one of the great one of the great teachers. Bill Buhlman um, is one of the great teachers uh, teaching today. Uh, he does many workshops up at the Monroe Institute, uh, found by Bob Monroe. Bob Monroe was the one who actually coined the term OBE or out of body experience. And um, Bill used to tell us. Uh, I went up there and, and studied with him for a week and, and reading his his stuff. He used to tell us. Um, you really have to make it intentional. It has to be something you really want. And he said, if you do it for 30 days, 30 minutes a day, and make it for that time the most important thing in your life, uh, you will have some kind of an experience. And um, I I think he was absolutely true. Uh, I know that because for 30 days, I made it my number one priority. It was the thing that I wanted to do more than anything else. And if I had quit at day 28, uh, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you today. And I think it's probably just because most of us are are so busy and so hectic and so jumbled up in our lives that it takes that kind of concentration. I know for me, um, I had to make it – I at, at first I thought I'd just try to squeeze it in whenever I had half hour here or there. But uh-huh. when you're just trying to squeeze something in, it isn't it isn't the most important thing in your life. Uh, so for me, I had to find a time of day when I was uh, physically and emotionally and spiritually ready for an out-of-body experience. If I did it first thing in the morning, I was usually thinking about what I was doing that day. And if I did it last thing at night, I was usually too tired and I'd fall asleep. So for me, at least, believe believe it or not, the only time of the day that really worked for me was 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I found myself always awake at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was rested, and but I was still, um, you know, uh, fairly, you know, the body was still pretty quiet. So it, uh-huh. I found myself waking up within a couple of minutes of 3 o'clock every morning, and I would get up. Leave, get out of bed, and go and into the my meditation place, and I would put on a Hemi Sync 
music, which is uh, music that was developed by Bob Monroe at the Monroe Institute, which is uh, music that was designed to, uh, well, to make a long story short, kind of uh, um, get the two hemispheres of your brain working in, in, in synchronization. Uh, there's uh-huh. all kinds of hemisync music out there now on, on the Internet. And so I developed, over the course of time, I developed this this plan, which uh, is just step by step. Of course, I go into detail and in the book, but basically what it comes down to is this. The first thing you have to do, uh, especially if you want to do it safely, I know there are a lot of people who swear by uh, using some kind of uh, uh, chemical or some kind of uh, plant like ayahuasca or mushrooms or something like that. I've just never used any drugs at all, and I, um, I, you know, it, I, I fully understand that there's a lot of Native American cultures and a lot of people who have used drugs, either synthetic or or or, or natural, to ob- obtain out-of-body experiences. And I, I don't have any any problem with it as long as it's done in in a real. Um, you know, in, intentional way, because I certainly don't want to criticize a lot of, you know, the Native American uh, people and everything else who use these things, but I just don't do it myself. I wanted something that was perfectly safe and something that I could do. So number one was to simply make the decision. You want to make a decision that this is the most important thing in your life. And having said that, step number two is you've got to stick to it. Uh, it has to be consistent and it has to be intentional and you have to be uh, really careful about making sure that uh, you just really stick to your plan and then you have to develop a system with me it was going to a particular place in, in the house in a particular chair using particular music and meditating in a way that my body would be totally relaxed but my mind would be awake and um then I had to focus, and boy, it's that's so important. <laughs> it's when anybody who hasn't meditated before tries it for the first time, you'll be surprised how physically difficult it is. Your mind is just going to go all over the place. It's going to be chattering away. You're going to find yourself going on these long um, stream of consciousness things, and as long as your mind is working like that, you simply cannot. Uh, focus on what you need to get your mind under control. Your mind is totally under the control of the ego. And to to, to get out of that is, is very difficult. A lot of people will uh, meditate sometimes for, for years before they develop the ability to have uh, one-point focused meditation. If you can find someone who can help you with it, that'd be great. But um, I think you can do it yourself, too, as long as you're intentional about it. And then, of course, you have to stay calm because when this happens and you're intentionally seeking it, eventually you will succeed. I guarantee it. 30 minutes a day, 30 30 days, you will at some point reach that point where you will uh, sense a shift and you will sense Uh yourself leaving your body. You may even see your body sitting in the chair. And when that happens, your first thought was, I did it. And as soon as you say that, you're gonna be right back in your body again. <laughs> so yep. you have to, you have to stay calm. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, when you learn to stay calm and accept this, uh, when you do come back into your senses, I really emphasize again keeping a journal of the whole thing. 
what you're looking for basically is a, a stillness of heart, a stillness of mind, a stillness of body, and then staying calm and just let it go. Um, I don't think I've ever had two out-of-body experiences that are the same. Um, sometimes you will meet spiritual entities who are trying to get in touch with you as much as you're trying to get in touch with them. Uh, sometimes you'll see things that are just totally beyond your comprehension and you won't have any way to describe it, and that's fine. Don't describe it. Just accept it and go with it. Um, often you'll be able to see your um, your your body actually behind sitting there in the chair or wherever you're meditating, if you're meditating on the floor or whatever, and you'll be able to sometimes see your body. And uh, if you can stay calm during the whole thing and just experience it and say that it's it's not a, a crazy thing happening. It's perfectly normal and perfectly natural. I think our ancestors did it all the time. We've just forgotten oh, yeah. how, that's all. Yeah, they, so that's, especially shamans. That's the, that, shamans, that's the technique know, that I use. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I, I have, you know, spoken to a lot of people, and, and basically the one thing that is constant among everyone who is on a spiritual journey, who's seriously on a spiritual journey, has written books on it or has studied it forever, the one thing that is a constant with all of them is meditation and journaling. Yeah. And not that you're going to take your yeah. journal and publish a book. You can put recipes in there and phone numbers and everything else too. But it should yeah. have it, it should have you know um, your experiences, what you're sensing, what you're for some reason. Yeah. And I don't know exactly why, but but if you write something down, you've cemented it in, re- in reality and signal to the spirit realm that you got it. Yeah. Yeah, and what's so difficult about it is when you come back from an experience like that, sitting down and writing about it is the last thing you want to do. Um, yeah. You know, you want to, you're going to get excited. You you don't want to sit down and just try to put it in words because words always fall short. But I think it's the most important thing. Even though it's the last thing you want to do, it's the most important thing. So what I like to suggest to people is uh, don't try to form great sentences. You're not writing a book. You're just... Um, you know, write even sometimes just plain old words or phrases or something like that. And don't worry about mm-hmm. spelling. Don't worry about punctuation. Just try to get the words down on paper. You can you can pretty it up later. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and lots of times, you know, there are there are messages there for you, which are so important. And and yeah. I, I think every you know what I think the one thing that most people don't understand is that. Every day in your physical reality, the spirit within you is sending you messages. And when yeah. you get the message, it's, it's just, I, I had somebody who I was talking to, and she said, you know, it's really wild. I'm losing the sight in one of my eyes, and nobody knows why. And I said to her, well, what are you refusing to see? And mm-hmm. we talked, and, and, you know, she finally came up with, something that had to do with one of her sons that she was estranged to, and she said, that makes a lot of sense. I, I really haven't looked at it from his point yeah. of view. And and the next day she yeah, called me and yeah. said, my sight's back. And so, wow. I mean, I mean, absolutely go to doctors when you think there's something wrong. I mean, you know, don't don't 
hold back and say, oh, this is a spiritual message. No, go to doctors when you think something's wrong, for sure. Yeah. But also look yeah. at the other side of it, because our our bodies are, are often uh, where spirit is writing a message on, whether it is trouble with a foot or something, and we haven't taken a step forward in some place where we should, or... You know, you hit a brick wall, and and literally it's, you know, well, well, where am I hitting a brick wall in my life? And, you know, why give yourself migraines? Why not just go around and do another direction until this one opens up? And so so there there are – you don't have to be out of body to get these messages. You just have to be aware that there's there's meaning behind everything that happens and occurs. Nothing is random. Yes. Yeah, I, I had um, I had an experience uh, that that kind of mimics that that same kind of thing. There was a time when I was just starting uh, an out of body experiences, and I um, I, I lost my stability. Uh, everything that I believed in was changing, and uh, every, everything that I had always put my faith in was was now different. And uh-huh. I didn't know where I was going, and I didn't even know if it was real. I didn't know if I was making all this stuff up. And when I say I lost my stability, I, I literally did. I, I, uh, well, I think I broke an ankle. If I didn't break it, I sure did crack some things, and and uh, I didn't go to a doctor or anything like that. But um, for almost a year, um, my ankle, I, I couldn't even hardly walk. I had to use a cane and... and um, it was very, very difficult. I had to, to have a big brace on my ankle all the time, and and all that kind of thing. And it was, uh, um, it was a time when I just like to say I, I I lost my stability. I couldn't move forward. And uh, at at one point, uh, when my ankle was still pretty bad, and I've had bad ankles all my life, so I think it probably had something to do with that too. But uh, at one point. I decided one day I was going to go down to the uh, uh, to our gazebo to meditate at our medicine wheel, uh, and so uh, I went out the back door because <laughs> we have a we had a dog who was with us at the time, a dearly beloved member of the family named Rocky, who always liked to be in on everything, and he was always a delight to have around. But when I was trying to meditate, sometimes he made it a little difficult. <laughs> Uh-huh. So I decided to sneak out the back door so Rocky wouldn't know I was going out. So I was I was out going down when I realized I had my cane, but I had I hadn't put my ankle brace on. And I said, "Oh boy, and it's slippery out here too." But I didn't want to go back in because I didn't want to disturb Rocky. So I went down, and uh, I write about this experience in the book that while I was there, I had a a real vivid experience of. Uh, actually transporting myself in body down to the medicine wheel below where I was sitting up in the gazebo. And uh, while I was down there, um, I met a healer who actually came and and worked on my ankle, touched my ankle, massaged my ankle. And I began, I was thinking at the time, what good is it to touch my astral ankle? My real ankle is one of certain, and that's up in the gazebo. But uh, sure enough, uh, after a very vivid experience, and I won't do the whole experience now, but uh, you have to read the book for that, I guess. But um, after a vivid experience, I realized that um, I, I knew where I was going again. I had some spiritual direction. So I got up and I started going up to the house. And even though the ground was slippery, I realized I was walking without my cane. 
And I started dancing on the way up to the house. I came back up, and eventually I was telling Barb about it, and I danced across the room, and my ankle was fine. And, you know, I've never had a bit of trouble with that ankle since then. It's amazing to wow. me. Wow. Uh, talk about a pra- practical experience. Well, every now and then we have to be given something that, you know, is just, you know, beyond explanation. So it's either you believe yeah. it or you're crazy, one or the other. You know, it, it's, uh, yeah. it is exciting, <laughs> though. And, and you know, it's I, I think being on a journey the way you are, now are you still involved with your music? Because you did play it a lot. Um, I, I know you said you used, med- yeah. you used meditation music, but... Are there other forms of, of music or that you utilized in, in your spiritual well, endeavors? I, I listen yeah, I listen to a lot of music, but I don't I don't perform anymore. Um, I was a professional musician. Uh, music was my first uh, my my first profession. And it takes it takes so much to perform at that level and yet um once you've lost that level by not practicing and by not doing it all the time, it really isn't very satisfying to go back and just make music just for the fun of it. Um, I do some singing, and sometimes when I'm doing public speaking, I'll bring my guitar along and I'll sing that kind of thing. Um, but mostly it's just a way of kind of bridging the gap between people. I listen to a lot of music, but I haven't played for a long time. Um I have, I yeah, I've found that, that no, no, I've, I've found that when I was talking trump- to some yeah. trombone. Yeah, trombone is my main instrument, and uh, I um, I had two friends who I went to school with back in the late '60s, who went on to become uh, two of the three trombonists of the Los Angeles Philharmonic and the uh, Hollywood Bowl oh, Symphony, wow. and they played together for thirty. They played for thirty years out there. And uh, when I was down in, in Florida and still playing a lot, and I was teaching instrumental music at the university down there, too, and playing a lot and singing a lot, uh, I got a call from them. They were coming on a, a tour. Uh, the three of them from the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic were coming on a tour and doing a series of concerts in uh, Alabama and Georgia. And they wanted to know if I could come along and be the fourth to form a quartet with them. And, of course, you know, playing with these guys who were uh, pros at that level was was great. I mean, I really worked hard for that. And uh, we got together. We had a wonderful time. We had a great reunion, and we played a lot of music. I think we did four, maybe five uh, concerts in different uh, venues around Alabama and Georgia. And when that was over, I kind of figured, well, there's nowhere to go from here. (laughs) I mean, that (laughs) that was a great experience, and I really liked it. But I just wasn't I didn't have the uh the the uh, the want to anymore to do the work that you need to do to play at that level and so well, now I, I, I haven't found. I haven't put uh, you, you know, I haven't put my horn together for <laughs> probably 10 years now <laughs> well I found that that although I did have I did have one one wonderful experience about oh maybe 8 or 9 years ago um when I was I hadn't played for about a year, but I, you know, I could still, you know, get the horn out and toot a little if I wanted to. And I decided one day to go down to the medicine wheel and uh, take my horn with me for some reason. And this time Rocky came with me, our dog. And so I went down the medicine wheel, put the trombone together. And when I was down there, 
I had all of a sudden no idea what to do. I, I didn't know what I was going to, what I was trying to accomplish. So I just started playing a Gershwin tune of all things of someone to watch over me. And uh -huh. I started to play and Rocky's a tough audience. He started to howl along with me. And all of oh, a sudden in the middle of the day, even in the middle of the afternoon, uh, an owl started hooting at me and then another one and another one until I heard five different owls coming from five different directions. And so I got a little carried away. I would, I would take the notes that they were hoot, hooting at me and I would play them on the trombone and then my jazz background kicked in and I started, you know, riffing on them a little bit and improvising them. And we had this great chorus going, five owls, me on the trombone and Rocky all howling in the middle of the afternoon. I don't know what it sounded like, but it was a lot of fun. Oh, <laughs> that was the last cool. time I played. Well, I, I have found that music, um, if if you're into it, and, and it doesn't it doesn't happen all the time. I used to sing in the youth choir. And... I yep. loved it. I loved it. It was energizing. It always gave me a high. It was it was magical. But but at some point, the youth choir was asked to go down and sing with an adult choir in in a huge church, the Riverside Church in in New York City. It's oh, like a cathedral. Sure. I've it's been there that, many times. It's that big. Yeah. And and so we went down. I was Acoustics in high school. Acoustics are fantastic in there, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, geez. We we went down and we um, walked into the church. The church was completely dark except for the the chancel, the chancellery. And so we walked down this huge aisle where the adult choir was, and we sang. We uh, the the uh, Hallelujah chorus is what we were singing, and oh, yeah. and the. Yeah. The the story when Handel wrote it was that that you know he didn't eat for a number of days or weeks and when he finally yep. finished yep. and he he came out of his his room he said I have heard I have heard the angels sing and so I did not yes. know that story when we we did this but we went down and in this huge dark cathedral the organ started in and everybody felt shivers and we sang and with our voices with the adult choir we. The and I tell you, we levitated. I, you know, we, when we were done and yeah, the last yeah. chords faded away, we looked around and everybody had tears running down their faces. And yeah, we yeah. did, you know, we had a break, we ate, we did the performance, and everybody was, you know, saying how, how wonderful it was. It was a huge, it was full, the church was full when we did yeah. the performance. And I heard somebody say to the conductor, you know, it was really magnificent. And he said, if you think that was good, you heard, should have heard rehearsal. And it was the one time that that the, I just felt so lifted and so out of body-ish. Yeah. And, I, and I, I suspect everybody else did, though we never talked about it. Uh, runners yeah. get into that zone where they're, they are outside their body. They're just mm -hmm. in an energetic field. I mean, there are lots of, of ways that people get to that space inside of themselves it doesn't have to be a meditation per se but but it's a it's no. a matter no. of of blending with the universe instead of being you know a piece of it you become it and you can do it in yeah. in hundreds yeah. and millions as many people as there are on this earth that's how many ways there are to get to that place inside of yourself and you do go out of body 
Um, yeah. It's it's not it's yeah, you know it's, it, it, it's it 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 is a ahead. wonderful it is a wonderful thing when it's all when it's all working together it's fantastic. Um, I have a, a YouTube channel um, that my uh, my my daughter has put up for me. And she has a couple of things. One one song that I wrote back in the 80s, I think uh, part of that song is on that YouTube channel, singing that song. And um, I, there's another YouTube video where I'm I, um, playing the guitar and singing It's a Wonderful World. Um, uh-huh. And so those those are fun. But those experiences that you just, you've just described, uh, those are experiences that stay with you for a whole lifetime. And uh, what a wonderful venue down at uh, at, at Riverside Church. That's a oh my fantastic, was, fantastic place. I, you know, I was I was in junior high. I was little, and so, but you know, when I tell people about it, I, I, I tell them go and look at the pictures of this church. It wasn't a church. It, it I mean, it is a church, but it it was like yeah. a cathedral. Yeah. You know, it's it's huge. Yeah. And, yeah. but you know, I think everybody at some point in time in their life has had one of those experiences and and yeah if the if you sit down and you try to you know be open to what was it what was it that made you feel magic all around you what was it that made you feel yeah yeah a part of the universe a part of whatever i'm um, it it's it, and you have one of those experiences and it's not that you're seeking to repeat that one you're seeking to get to a space where you can have others that that you know enhance it or go beyond it, and yeah. whether you're you're looking yeah. to hit other dimensions or whether you're looking to hit a spirit guide or whether you're looking to just get messages from the spirit within you, and and I personally think that oftentimes what we call a spirit guide is actually another aspect of our own consciousness. Um, yes. Yeah. So that yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think, it, I think and, we leave. Go ahead. Well, go, go go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was just. I, I sometimes people don't want to accept wisdom from themselves, but they'll expect it from another entity. So we create one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I I I've really come to believe, and and I, of course I have no way of proving this, but I I really come to believe that when we come here into this material reality and we are manifested within a material body. I think there's uh-huh. a, we leave a part of it, a part of us behind on the other side. Um, the spirit guide that I refer to uh, by the name Sabuko, and that's a long story about how uh, how that name came about. But the spirit guide that is with me all the time, and I just had constant interaction with Sabuko, and uh, I've really come to believe that he is uh, that part of me that. I left on the other side when I came here. Uh, some people might call it a guardian angel, a spirit guide, an entity. Um, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I went up to uh, New York State, and I was speaking at the uh, at a meeting of the American Society of Dowsers. And uh, matter of fact, that particular talk that I gave is on my website. People can uh, at jimwillis.net. They can hear the whole lecture, uh, the whole uh, talk that I gave up there. And at one point in the talk, when I mentioned the fact that I was using dowsing rods uh, to speak to my spirit guide, and I said, and I began to realize that here the spirit guide was me on the other side. And uh-huh. in the on the tape, you can hear the whole room gasp all at once. And, and these were experienced dowsers. 
And I think what they were finding out that, wow, that you know we can actually use dowsing to uh, to know that there's an anchor out there waiting to meet us oh, and yeah. waiting to guide us and helping us through. It's a a wonderful, oh. wonderful feeling. And I think sometimes we know that in music. Uh, oh yeah. I, and, and, you know, I, just... I I I like to use a lot of musical. Yeah, I I, I use musical uh, metaphors too. For instance, everybody says, "Can I?" You know, um, can I learn to douse or can I learn to do out of body experiences? I said, I think everybody can. Some people are better at it than others. We can all carry mm-hmm. a tune, but not many of us are Mozart, you know. Um, <laughs> and so I think there are people who are extremely gifted, uh, mm-hmm. but I think everybody can do it. Everybody can certainly enjoy it, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. And to go back to your, your having an anchor on the other side, I have often said that. That exactly that that there was a a, um, a kind of like a, a shade of our physical body on the other side, and so that yeah. at the moment of death, the the shade, the the etheric body, meets the physical body and blends back together, and that's where the symbol of prayer comes in. One hand being the etheric, yeah. the other hand being the physical, and the two of them merging together to create the totality of whatever the entity is. That's a that's a beautiful picture. I love the way you you that's a wonderful metaphor. I love it. I, I hadn't heard that before, oh. but I it makes perfect Feel sense. Feel free to, to me. use it. <laughs> okay. No, I yeah. Oh, yes. Please please share. Um no, I I I do believe that that there is so much going on today on a spiritual level that that those yeah. those yeah. of us who are old enough to talk about it with a certain amount of, of not knowledge or well wisdom and knowledge at least from our own experience, but there's so much cosmic wisdom out yeah. there to, to you know, it's just so yes. y- yeah. you kind of you wanna you wanna take off your shoes and run through it all and, and you know, hope that it all seeps yeah. in because yeah. there's just so much that, that would apply to us today and and I think society needs to have a more spiritual outlook on life and understand that that yeah. this experience is is you know one of the building blocks that will get us to the place where we need to be to start all over in another venue that, in another way yeah that's that's what gives me hope because there there is so much dissension and so much hatred and so much arguing and and so much division in the world today, and people worry about it, and they say, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? And I love to say, well, you know, maybe it's always darkest before the dawn. Um, and maybe we are at that point where we are being forced to make a decision, which way are we going to go? And I like to think that, that the, the the spiritual triumph is just waiting to overcome all of that bad stuff that's out there in the world today. And I, I love to think that the human race is, is not filled with darkness in our future, but we're standing on a precipice, and the darkness is simply the gathering storm of all that we have done in the past, and it's uh-huh. going to go uh, it's going to go away, and we're going to be left with a brand new, wonderful future. I think it could be tremendously hopeful. Oh, I totally agree, and and you know, for those that you know, I don't I don't believe in an in an Armageddon where, you know, everything ends and we go into nothing. I believe that 
that we're in the middle of an Armageddon of sorts where it comes to yeah. mores yeah. and morale and, and all of that. And so that so that we are getting rid of the drudge, we're getting rid of the garbage, we're getting rid of the ick yeah. that we have carried this lifetime. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, it, it's it's not easy. And quite often some of the stuff we let go of feels like, like it's precious until you realize that you don't need it. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, yeah. it's kind of like, damn, I don't even miss that. So um, yeah. it's kind of yeah. like I, you know, I, it, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be moving, and so I have decluttered, and and I'm horrified to a, to a way at how much I have given away, and and yet I don't miss anything. My life is just the yeah. same as it was yeah. before. All of that stuff cluttered my life. So yeah, yeah. you know, there's there's, so there's two things two things about that that I think are are really important. When we were talking about Armageddon. Even in the Bible, when uh, in the book of Revelation, when people are talking about Armageddon, they always think that means the end of the world. But no, the last couple of chapters of the book of Armageddon aren't about endings at all. Uh, the old is gone, and um, then come the wonderful words in Revelation 21, I see a new heaven and a new earth, and uh-huh. uh, it's a, a brand new beginning. And I think that's that's fantastic. And in terms of what we carry around, um, I've been working on this in my own life lately. You know, we all get into the habit of carrying these anxieties and worries and what's going to happen tomorrow. And we start when we're kids. What am I going to be when I grow up? Uh, what what school am I going to go to? What job am I going to take? Who am I going to um, have a relationship with? And all of this kind of thing goes on. And we build up those worries. And that w- I almost think sometimes that we build up a space within us that is full of all of that worry and all of that anxiety. And then we come along through out-of-body experience or through spiritual growth, and we start throwing that stuff away, like you're doing, getting ready to move. We get rid of it. The trouble uh-huh. is that unless we're careful, the same space is there, and we fill it up with other stuff because we're so used to having it. We're so used to carrying it around with us that it feels uncomfortable. And so yeah. when I, for instance, retired from the world, um, I thought, well, there, I don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. Oh, I got the same space within me that I that used to be filled with all those worldly worries. So I'm finding ways to fill them up here. You know, physical worries, <laughs> anxieties <laughs> about this or that, and uh, it's it's really hard, like onion, isn't it, to get rid of? Isn't isn't yeah, that like an yeah, onion though? You get rid be, of one yeah. layer, and and hey, there's another layer I can let go of, and then another layer, and sooner or later you get to the purity yeah. of what's inside, which is free space. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. and that's... That's, I, a, that's I, a great I, way of putting it. I knew somebody once who could carry all of his worldly possessions in one paper bag, and he was the happiest yeah. man I have yeah. ever met. And, you know, not that I want isn't, to get isn't that... that you know, I, 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 I've got... I've got stuff, and I like some of my stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I've done a lot of long distance biking and long distance hiking, and when you're on a bicycle, for instance, and I bicycled from the Pacific to the Atlantic, and everything I needed was in those panniers on that bicycle, and uh-huh. I found myself just free, and everything I needed was there. And I didn't need anything more. It was the essential life. 
And the same thing when I'm backpacking. Uh, Colin Fletcher used to call it his, his house on his back, you know. Uh, everything, everything you'd had for a long journey that might last six months, you know, hiking the Appalachian Trail or something like that, everything is in that pack, and you're perfectly content with it. You don't need anything more. You don't want anything more. And then as soon as the journey's over, you start getting stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we are a funny, we are a funny race of people. Oh, yeah. But, you know, our habits, you know, die hard, and, and certainly they've been ingrained in yeah. us for a very, very long time. And that's what we do with children when yeah. they're born. You know, we, we don't look at, you know, what are the attributes, what are they interested in, what do they want to, you know, play with. Because up to the age of about three, that child is going to exhibit those areas where there's great talent. And if you encourage those, that child will have a very happy, rich lifetime. Maybe not the one you would have envisioned for them, but one that will be perfect for them. And so so many of us go through college and degrees, and and we're not happy until we can break away from all of that and and strike out on our own quest for what is best for us. That's right. And when you come right down to it, even this even this body, uh, we're going to have to leave that behind sometime. And then we're going to realize that we spent all of this time worrying about it and caring for it and grooming it and clothing it and all this kind of stuff. And we, we realize that even, even that's going to, going to be left behind. I got a, a, a call one night in the middle of the night from a hospital. Uh, a nurse called me and she said, Reverend Willis, uh, can you get to the hospital? Uh, one of your parishioners is here and he's not expected to make it through the night. And uh, he's calling for you. Can you get here? So I said, of course. So I quick got dressed and got my car and drove down to the hospital. And I walked into the room of this man who was, who was a very good friend as well as a parishioner. Uh, if any man had had a successful life, this was him. He uh, he was a, a, a mainstay of the church. He was a mainstay of the community. Uh, he had a doctorate, and he, he founded a college. He was a wonderful educator. Everybody loved him. You just think he had a superb life. And yet I knew that we were close enough that I could talk to him seriously rather than just, you know, exchange pleasantries. So as I took mm-hmm. his hand that night in, in the hospital, I said, Bradley, are, are, are you ready to cross over? You're ready to go. And he started to cry. And he said, Jim, I've done a lot in my life. And the one thing that I should have done, I never did. And I said, what's that? And he said, I never prepared for this moment of leaving this body behind. Well, we were lucky. Uh, he didn't die that night. As a matter of fact, he made it for, I think, 10 more days. And I visited him every one of those 10 days. And we, we talked and we shared. And I don't know if I taught him anything. I know he taught me a lot. But as uh-huh. we just concentrated on this and he realized that everything he had ever done, everything he had ever owned, all of his degrees, all of his money, and even the body itself was about to be left behind. It was all just baggage. And by the time he died, I like to think that he he was prepared to leave that stuff behind and and realize it was all just 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 baggage. Um, but and he, he left that's, he, he that's left hard. amazing but he left an amazing story because you're talking about it and people, you know, will hear it. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. He he definitely he's has still, an he's impact. He's still alive in that sense. That's right. Yeah. 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 No, it's probably. It's, it's, as a matter of fact, I'm 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 sure. And I I wrote about his story. Uh, I I can't even remember which book it was in now, but uh, 
I'm sure that that you know thousands of people are going to read that story. Uh, probably more people are going to read his story in in death than he ever talked to in life. And that's Quite possibly. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. When you when you stop um, to think I, about it, it's it's you know every, everybody says you have a purpose in life. And and I caution people when they say that you know I, I you know you may have a purpose in life, but it's most probably not the purpose you think it is. It could it could easily yeah. be helping an old lady up a walk or holding the door yeah. for somebody or sharing a precious moment with somebody by actually listening to what they're saying instead of trying to talk yeah. at them, yeah. not to them. So. So don't uh-huh. don't think that your purpose in life is so something grandiose that you have spotlights and there are headlights on you for it it's it's probably something yep. very simple, yep. very pure and very precious. Yep. So. Mozart died thinking he was a failure. Uh how many artists died thinking they were failures? And and uh after they were gone, their purpose was revealed. They never understood the purpose while they were living. After they were gone, it was revealed in a way that just touched millions and millions of people. So you just never so know. Hard. I guess all we can do is, is, is say, be honest with ourselves, be fully intentional, uh-huh. be in the moment. Um, we don't have to understand it. We're not necessarily called to understand, although we, we keep trying to, and that's good. But who knows? Uh, it may be something way beyond our understanding that we never even think about. That we leave well, yeah, probably purpose. you get on the other side, you look back and you look back and you say, what was the purpose? And then you say, well, damn, I didn't think that was that big a deal, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, Maybe it it's was just like, saying I know, the right thing to that one person at the time, yeah. Absolutely. I know one, one lady ah. who said who said to me, I just, you know, I, I want to know what level I'm on. I think, I know I'm at the highest level and I'm going to ascend to the masters. And I said, well, I tell you what, here's how you know. At the moment of death, as you cross over, look up. You're in an elevator. It'll tell you what floor you're on and just pray it's not sub-basement. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And she, yeah. looked, she looked at me and yeah, she said, I'm it, I'm not looking. <laughs> I said, good thought. Um, we we've only got a couple minutes left. Do you want to give your website out and and any other stuff you're going to be doing? Well, sure. Uh, I mentioned the trip to Turkey. If anybody's interested in going, uh, I have a, a Facebook page at uh, in, on Facebook. It's Jim Willis dot author. And uh-huh. uh, my website is jimwillis.net, and that lists all of my books and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, then I have a YouTube uh, channel as well that's just the Jim Willis channel, and you can access that through the Facebook page or the website as well. And uh, um, other than that, I just uh, I just love to, love to share with people. Uh, the website has a place where you can write to me if you would like. An email address where you can, and I would love to hear your stories, and I would love to talk with you, and uh, please feel free. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much because this has been such fun. Um, oh, thank just, you. Just comparing thank you. It's notes. been great talking with you. It's uh, a, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I, I hope that uh, from, from what we understand about the weather you guys are having up there, I hope that spring will come soon. 
Well, if it does, I'm I'm ready to sell my house. I'm way ahead of the spring market, and I'm hopeful myself. Um, but thank you again. <laughs> I really I, I so appreciate your taking the time to to talk with me and to share with me and and everybody that's listening. And hopefully, people will read the book because it it absolutely is a delightful book. And, and the book we talked about tonight was the Quantum Akashic Field. A Guide to Out-of-Body Experiences for Astral Travel. It is so much more. It is a spiritual journal, of a, uh, and it's amazing, and you'll learn a lot from it. Uh, we got the lady coming on, so thank you, everybody, for being with us tonight. I certainly appreciate it. This will be up on YouTube tomorrow. And stay warm, stay happy, stay full of love and light and laughter, and enjoy your journeys. Good night now.